Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi there, I'm Jay Comfrey. Welcome to the Premier League Tonight podcast. The best football debate show on TV is now available as a podcast and you can find us on iTunes, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts from. At the Emirates, for what was another titanic clash between Arsenal and Manchester United, Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard and a man who knows a thing or two about big clashes against United. Martin Keown. Now, if you're not familiar with the show, make sure you catch up on last week's fascinating debate on England's golden generation, which is now on our YouTube channel. Right, let's get down to it. Enjoy the cast. Before we go any further, we're going to look back once more on what Frank has described as, what did you say, the best game you've seen for a long time? Yes. How long? Quite a while. It's definitely the game of the season, isn't it? Yes, for sure. And we've seen some good games this season. Yeah. But in terms of two teams bringing something to the table in their different styles, shots, goalkeeper, everything, I thought it was brilliant, really entertaining. And you are a brave man, on your feet, banging on the glass, cheering on United, about five feet away from a few hundred Arsenal fans. Well, they couldn't get in here, could they? We're locked in, so I can say what I wanted. <laughs> and also, we've got Leo. Yeah, exactly. And I tell you, if someone comes through that door and Leo is in here, they're in a world of trouble. <laughs> right. Leo, get, should we just show people Leo? Because he does do every game. No, we can't show Leo. We can't show Leo. <laughs> uh, right, let's hear from the fans then. Uh, this is what they made of what was a truly remarkable game here at the Emirates. Absolutely gutted the way we lost that football match. So on top throughout the whole game, two stupid mistakes in the first 10 minutes and we did really, really well to get back into it. I had a plethora of chances, Lacazette. I mean, Sanchez as well, when he was miraculously saved by De Gea. And then Man United just took all their chances. Fair play to them. They won a really, really entertaining game of football. But what can you do? We haven't got anything out of that, and it's really, really frustrating. So Manchester United have beaten Arsenal 3-1 at the Emirates. That was despite Paul Pogba getting sent off towards the end. And he's going to be a huge, huge miss in the derby. But enough of that. This was a great day for Manchester United today. We had to come here and win, and we did just that. Few notable mentions. I can't give one man of the match. Jesse Lingard, often criticised, often... People don't want him in the starting 11. He starts today, he grabs two goals to win us the game. David De Gea, he's the best goalkeeper in the world, without a doubt. I don't want to hear any arguments. He's the best goalkeeper. And that is for sure. Manchester United have got a bit of momentum now going into this derby. Let's beat City. United fans are leaving here buzzing. Could have been very different, you know, because there was what you'd probably describe as a stonewall penalty that Arsenal didn't win just down here with a few minutes left. And that completely changes the narrative of the last few minutes, doesn't it? Well, Danny Welbeck was as a definite foul. Damian catches him just beneath us here. And it's almost it was so frantic in the game that Arsenal were in a rush to get a goal that nobody actually even appealed. And we saw the replay on it, and it's a stonewall penalty. Uh, and the referee, unfortunately, missed it. You thought maybe he got up too quickly, didn't you? Yeah, you, it's going to make me sound bad now. But, um, <laughs> no, in, in a, no, in a... Well, you, you want to win a game. Yeah. You get brought down. He knows he's had contact. If you give them, the referee two or three or four seconds, he, they, sometimes they need that to, to digest it and then they give it. The minute you jump up, they maybe think, oh, he's up because he doesn't yeah. think or there wasn't the contact I thought there was. I think maybe you stayed out. I don't know. I mean, we have to congratulate his intentions of trying to get up and carry on. No, I, think it would, I think it would impact the thinking of a referee, wouldn't it? In that I would have been screaming at him. If I was on his team out there today, I'd be saying, what are you getting up for? Mm-hmm. He's kicked you. 
Lay on the floor. Rio's less bothered about saying it, obviously. Yeah, oh, I was trying to be diplomatic there. In training, even, I used to go, mad. if he's kicked you and we've got a penalty, it's a penalty, go down and stay down. Frank makes a good point because it completes the picture, doesn't it, for the referee. Yeah. And it didn't, it, it, it didn't go with the, the impact, the tackle. He's suddenly on his feet again. Oh, there couldn't have been a penalty. Play on. Mm. And, uh, yeah, maybe Danny Bowett was too uh, Let's go to Graham, actually. Genuine um, honesty from the players in here. So we need some more from you now, Graham. If you're a referee and you see a player hop back up on their feet that quickly, does it impact your decision? Some referees it does and some it doesn't. To be honest with you, I used to be a gut feel penalty guy. So if, if I see it instantly, I'd give it. Um, so whether he stays down, jumps up, I'm, I'm kind of going on the gut feel. For me on this decision, it's more about Simon Beck, who's the assistant who's looking straight at this, because Mariner's a distance away with not the best angle. And, and Simon's looking straight at it. The same view as I think you've got from your box, and he really should be helping him with that. He's done really well on offsides, but I think he could have helped Andre a lot more with that decision. All right, thanks, Graham. OK, should we, um, should we move this on then and talk about the rivalry, the classic rivalry between um, Arsenal and Manchester United? We've had a couple of fans talk about the moment that really stands out for them. Let's hear from Sophia and Mike first, and then we'll, uh, then we'll discuss it here in the studio. My favourite game was the Battle of Old Trafford, where Van Nistelrooy dived, Vieira got sent off, he then missed the penalty, and then Keown gave him grief to his face. It was brilliant. I wish we had that kind of rivalry now. Definitely Keane bossing Vieira in the Arsenal Tunnel is another one. <laughs> Absolutely stands out. But, you know, the main one has got to be Giggs tearing Arsenal to pieces at Villa Park in the semi-final replay. Um, that wave of Wizards one that absolutely tore them to pieces will always be the one, Ryan Giggs. OK, well, let's have a look at the timeline of this rivalry between these two sides. And you were kind of at the very heart of all of this mm. unfolding, weren't you, Martin, as, as you sort of you traded blows season after season? Well, I think the first seven seasons, they won four titles, we won three. And, and really, they had a massive dominance, Manchester United. Uh, there was an aura. You didn't even get a penalty, never mind uh, score a goal at Old Trafford. For years, it became Fergie time. They were a power base in the game and we had to change that big time. It was almost like there was propaganda as another force. And when we came head-to-head uh, head with them, if I looked around my dressing room, and I would often say, look around, you won't see better players. It'd taken me a lifetime to get to that level with those group of players, World Cup winners, tremendous, great ability. The head-to-head -head was great. It was what was done after that. We couldn't necessarily match... They had a spell over the rest of the Premier League because everybody was, in, was fearful of Manchester United. And we changed that dominance and we snatched it away from them. And let's not forget, 99, they won the treble, Manchester United. They've won everything. Uh, and then around that time, 2002, we sort of took it away from them, won the league there, went unbeaten. But the unbeaten, actually, I mean, was a disappointing season because Chelsea, Frank, I believe, was, was involved then. They, they beat us in the Champions League. We went out of the semi-final of the FA Cup. So you'll look back and feel that Arsenal really should have won more trophies in that period, but we were having to fight against what was an outstanding Manchester United team. You must love to hear Martin talk like that, when he talks about a propaganda and a spell over the rest of the Premier League and Fergie time and all the other things that were created in, in the era that you were at Old Trafford. I mean, that's what you strive to be as a footballer, isn't it? Basically, psychologically breaking down other Premier League players so that here we are 20 years later and Martin can still recall those feelings in an instant. Job done. Yeah, that is part of it, definitely, but I think it's... In that time, there was a, a, a period of transition as well because the Man United team of the, the treble winning team changed 2002-ish, I come to United, and it wasn't the dominance that had been before in 99, etc. Arsenal started to win a few trophies and then I remember uh, Fer Sir Alex Ferguson saying to me, stick with it, I'll get this right. 
and he then created another team and we won four champion, uh, championships on the bounce and it, it, that dominance comes and what happens is that sense of fear does set through the, through the, um, through the league because you stand in the tunnel, Frank would have felt it with his Chelsea team as well, you stand in that tunnel and you look across the line and you can see fear. You can sense it in the tunnel before you even kick the ball. In the warm-up, you can sense it around the stadium and people anticipating their team getting beat. I, we, I mean, we were playing Leicester and they'd all be asking for Dennis Bergkamp's shirt before the game. You, yeah. and you, well, you know you've won the game. Points. And I, I, I don't think I ever swapped shirts with, with any player. They didn't want your shirt, did they? Nobody wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> I used to keep them, give them, give them to my brother. You are a disgrace on the show. He's out of order. Sorry, sorry. Totally out of order. <laughs> Did you ever feel fear in the tunnel looking across at someone else? Well, fear against... Worried about them? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Barcelona team. Yeah, they were quite good. <laughs> New Camp. It was fear every time we played them. But it was a respect as well. What I love about this rivalry here is personality. You know, like it's an era where you can remember the Roy Keane moment and Vieira going up against each other. Players caring for the club. And, of course, players care for the club these days. But that was a, a massive time, you know, of, of looking at people. You could see the dislike for each other. That's what we're here for. I, mean, I remember being in the change room. I remember Gary Neville coming and saying, like, someone's hit me or something. And then it just kind of got glossed over. And then we went out in the tunnel. And that tunnel at Highbury used to be tight. So it was like touch tight, us and them, straight away. Nothing in between, no space. You couldn't breathe, really, right. in there, could you? And then all of a sudden, I just heard a bit of a rumbling at the front. And Roy was just going bananas. Going, pointing everything, and I never really got a gist of what happened until after the game when we see the pictures. But I remember it just filtering down the line. Right, we go out there, we've, we've run over these. <laughs> did you nearly get swear? the result? I didn't nearly yeah, swear, yeah, yeah, but it was said in a bit more. Self-editing. Yeah. Well, let's but let's let's, uh, let's go to the man who was at the front. I mean, you were a, you were a few bodies back, mm. just having a little look. But right in the middle of all of this was Graham Paul. What are your memories of this, Graham? When did, it, when did you first sort of start to realise that this wasn't going to be a usual pre-match lineup in the tunnel? You knew straight away. I mean, I pressed the bell to get the teams out. They wouldn't come out. There was, it, we knew it had followed Pizzagate and there, there was going to be a tough game. Uh, the warm-ups, you could sense the players weren't their normal selves. It was tense. And uh, certainly once, once I got the teams out, I walked, went to walk down with Patrick Vieira to get him into the tunnel. And you go down that little chicane into the old, down the steps, down the old hybrid tunnel. And when I looked round next, um, Patrick had gone. Um, Thierry Henry was next to me. And the next thing, as, as Rio said, you just hear this noise go up at the top of the tunnel. You think, what is that? And, and you just react. I mean, I'm not trained to deal with stuff in a tunnel. And I just pushed my way up, very tight, getting past the players. And... Uh, you could just see that, that Keane had arrived to save Gary Neville from Patrick Vieira. And, and that, was, that showed you that I think Man United were kind of more team-based. Um, Patrick mm. was left on his own, and I think that was a key moment in the whole match. You'd, you'd left one. recently, hadn't you? And before that, you were telling us that you were a little bit of a sort of protector for Pat. Well, I, I felt I needed to protect him because if you look, he got sent off. Yeah. Roddick sent him off. People would target him. Cantona came for him. Um, there was one or two players that would, would would actually go after him a little bit, and uh, sorry, De Canio, if you remember the De Canio yeah, incident. So, so I felt one of us, Patrick, for us to win something was really key to what we need. So I needed to get in between and protect him a little bit. And I feel he was brought up on that tit for tat thing, where it's a little bit like the playground, but you have to look and you have to bully each other, you know, protect each other and get yeah. around. I mean, that came in the early days with George Graham, when George Graham was saying that we were all too nice and we needed to get around their players. They were. They were trying to influence the referee. I mean, I remember a penalty given to Manchester United against Middlesbrough back in the day, and the referee was just harangued. And it was, he was frightened to give it. I mean, it was rare that you got a penalty. 
at Manchester United. And it was a case of challenging. It's not a good message to young kids, but you get round, you question every decision, and you battle for everything, and it starts in the tunnel. But you must wait for go on, go on. That, 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 that happens. That becomes the DNA of a football club, I think, because it happens in training. You challenge the referee, challenge every decision. You try and sway referees' decisions in yeah. terms of the volume, the way, the way you approach them. And I'm not condoning that, but it was just that the part of everything. the way it was that no decision could go without you having a say on trying to sway a referee. And you'd be in a tunnel, and you'd, you'd see the name of the referee on the paper, on the team sheet, and you'd think, all right, I know how to approach him. I know how to pressure him for a result. I know how, how far I can go. And we were talking before uh, about it. It's, it, it's an, it was an important part of the game. You don't really see it so much now because of the big respect campaigns, etc. So that's understandable. How much from Roy Keane personally? Because I just think of Roy Keane when I think of that sort of spirit in there. He's, yeah, he was, he was... In training, he wasn't really like that. But you get to a game situation and he became a different animal. And he was so intense and he was so demanding. And the great thing about him as a captain, even when his powers were won the wane, he was so demanding of, of, of standards around the training ground and on the pitch during that 90 minutes. And if you didn't stand, live up to the standards, he'd tell you, you no answer. You see now, don't you, they, they pick an all-time great Manchester United team and you ask other players to pick it. I don't know if he was that popular because he doesn't seem to get into many of the teams because he was, for me, their driving force. He was the one who wanted the ball, demanded it in a different way to Patrick Vieira, who I felt was actually pound for pound, and, and Man United fans won't agree, I thought, I thought Vieira was ahead of him. But... Roy Keane was every, he meant everything to. He was a real driving, great player by the way. Everything was two touch, could score goals, uh, and he was a big match winner for them. The thing with Roy Keane is he influenced his other teammates. Mm. He, he could he could he demanded a seven minimum amount out of players. The manager done it. Then he had his lieutenant on the pitch. He would go out there and and make sure he implemented that. And going back to the incident, Graham, you've just heard the guys talking about influencing the referee or making sure that they put themselves in a position to get what they wanted from the game. Mm. When this started to kick off in the tunnel, you must have immediately not been worrying as much about what's happening in the tunnel and more about, is this, how do I assert my authority so this doesn't carry on out there in front of the world's media? Well, I, I was happy. Once, once I got them onto the field of play and in front of the world's media, I was happy with my experience level to be able to control them. So, you know, the famous, I'm, I'm heard shouting, no more in here, take it out yeah. on the pitch. I just want to get them out there and then I can actually deal with it properly. Because in the tunnel, you, you, you can't, it's, it's, it's weird. And, and, you know, the guys were talking earlier about intimidation. When you're a new referee, you are intimidated. Don't, don't be under any illusions. You go up to Old Trafford back in the day when Fergie was there, sorry, Sir Alex was there, it was scary. You knew you were in for a tough time. If you gave a decision that was 50-50, that was you would get battered. Mm. You would get battered by him. And that, I, I'm glad to say, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, there's, as you say, certain respect campaigns come in. But it was after you'd done them 10, 20 times that you... you you stopped that intimidation. You were strong enough to do it. And, you know, once I went up before the game, up the tunnel at Old Trafford to see Alex and said to him, you know it's me today? And he said, yeah, I know what to expect. And it, it, it F all, basically, was what he expected from me. And I was happy with that because I said, that's what you're going to get. And we went out and we respected each other from that. Probably didn't like each other, but we respected each other. How, how close in that incident did you get to sending either or both of them off? Well, I, the I, was fully, I was fully focused on getting them out. And then the fourth official, Rob Stiles, came to me and said, look, if you're going to take any disciplinary action, you've got to do it now. You can't start play. Once you've started, the moment's gone. And I said, well, technically, I could send them both off, in which case we would replace them with substitutes and start 11 aside anyway. 
but I wanted those two characters on the field of play. Those two captains could help me in certain situations. The game was going to be tough enough as it was, and it might sound odd, but actually Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira helped referees in certain situations. Right. And what was it like once the game got going? Can you remember it being particularly fiery for the first few minutes after all yeah, that? Yeah, you could feel it. It was, uh, And the fans were none the wiser, really, but the, 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 you could sense it within the players and there was a steeliness and there was a determination set within our group of players. I don't know about the Arsenal team. We actually went 1-0 down in that game, mm. and I, I think, if I remember rightly. And we, but it wasn't a feeling of panic. It was a feeling of, look, we know we'll get back into this. And it, Things like that in a, in, a, in a tunnel can really help paint the picture before the game's even started and the outcome. I found it actually easier at Old Trafford, you know, not to blow my own trumpet, but I won there five times. Now, in that era... You've just blown your own trumpet. Well, I make it... Let's make the point. I'm, yeah. who, won five, who won five times there during their playing career in that particular period? Yeah, so, but only because I was... He's going to jump in your face in a minute, Rio. Watch out. Um, yeah. Only because I was... At, I mean, listen, I had a fantastic team as well. But... To give you some idea of Sir Alex Ferguson's influence, just on an England front, yeah. just taking it, we were landing from away trips at Luton Airport, and Sir Alex Ferguson said, no, I want us to land in Manchester. And in the end, we landed in Manchester because he felt that there was more players in the northwest of England. That man was, had his foot in every camp. Yeah. And so when you played him on a, on a Saturday, when it was my turn to play against him, I made sure after the, the uh, semi-final of the FA Cup where he really got into the face of the referee that, that evening that I would never allow him that comfort again. So I was straight in the tunnel looking for Sir Alex Ferguson, making sure <laughs> that I was covering... He's gone after Sir Alex. No, no, he's I'm, a pensioner. I needed to block his pathway to the referee <laughs> to make it fair. So I what would you do then? You're, you're, the game's finished. No, Sir no, Alex half time. So uh, Sir Alex comes in. What do you... I'll wait to see if he's going to react with the referee. And if he does? Then I'll have to step in and just <laughs> security. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna beat up an old man. I'm just gonna ferry him away from the referee. Ferry. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't allow you to ferry him away from the referee, would he? That's what, what he used to do, wouldn't he? This what, is why I used to go off in the tunnel. How many times we used to go off in the tunnel was, when we they, used to play? Uh, there was great oh, rivalry. Listen, we have to say there was great respect. For, yeah. for they were great Grumshire players. Unbelievable. But they were trying to take away. Now, if they weren't there. Then Arsenal might have had two back Did to back. Did you ever double. successfully ferry Sir Alex away from a referee? No, because I didn't necessarily need to do it. I just kept an eye on it. But what, <laughs> what, what I saw. In that's that, not a good security What I saw. Don't get physical. But in that semi final, the, the referee that day, I think. <laughs> that's good. I'll shoot over there. <laughs> the referee had fear in his eyes. And you, when Sir Alex lost it, the, the, I mean, I wasn't in his dressing room, but I, I could yeah. not believe. The, the fury that which he went after this referee, and I thought, well, I, I can't allow that to happen again. <laughs> You're gold dust on this show, absolute gold dust. Frank Lampard won six times at Old Trafford. Told you. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> but you really haven't mentioned it. have been working on that. <laughs> I haven't mentioned it once. Well, that's remarkable, isn't it? I thought Man United were dominating Mike, in that period. <laughs> Not when Frank was involved. I'm talking about in the period, that period when they were at their most successful. Oh, when that exact period that you... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Get the boys on that one. Well on Frank. He can blow his own trumpet, we'll blow yours. Is that... That's fair. Pardon? Thank you. Pardon? <laughs> Whoa. What show is this? <laughs> let's talk about... Let's talk about Pizzagate. Yeah. You were involved. No, I, I, You were there? I was there, yeah, I was there. Tell us what happened. Um... I was walking up the tunnel with Sol Campbell actually at the time, yeah. and then um, I think Sir Alex Ferguson walked past the changing room, and there had been an argument, there had been a contentious decision, yeah. everyone screaming and shouting, and then someone obviously threw a bit of pizza, and it must have either hit the manager or not, whatever's happened. As I've turned me and Sol have turned the corner, 
Yeah. We just saw a melee of players. So, and the, the Arsenal uh, dressing room before ours. So all the Arsenal players are this side. So yeah. I'm trying to move people out of the way to get through and I'm like to get to my side. And then it just kicked off. It was just going mad. And I think the manager was being held by security so he couldn't get back down the tunnel. It was like, it was mental. But that's what was part and parcel of playing against Arsenal at that time, there was always something in a game during the 90 minutes yeah. or at half-time or full-time that something happened where players would come together. Security were getting thrown out of the way. It was funny, it was funny. It was interesting because Arsene Wenger was a very calm individual and he very quickly got caught up in that melee with, with Sir Alex Ferguson. And it's almost a... Really, when they became buddies, then I realised that some of that had gone for Arsenal because it, when they were real rival, there was a massive rivalry mm. between them. Wenger's about now to, to eclipse him with the number of Premier League games he's, he's amassed. They've got, I mean, longevity was incredible. Wenger's been doing this now for a long time. But when they disliked each other, I thought that's when the rivalry yeah, yeah. was at best. And yeah. As soon as they were beating Arsenal regularly, then there was a, a coming together and a friendship that was developed. And of course, that was a show of respect. And I thought it was right at the top of our game that the two figureheads should be friends and should get on. But I, I think I preferred it. When but they, 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 they only became friends, Martin, when Sir Alex Ferguson didn't see Arsenal as a threat. Correct. As soon as Arsenal were a threat at any point, he, the guns were out again. And he'd done that with Rafa Benitez at Liverpool. There was a little period of time with Mourinho, there was a little bit, of, but then Mourinho kind of diffused the situation completely yeah. and he played yeah. it well. But anyone who came, Keegan, anyone who came into battle and was having an opportunity to try and win the league and take that from Sir Alex Ferguson, which yeah. he probably considers his own trophy, he, the guns came out and he, he, he was going to war. Interesting. Seska's come out and admitted, hasn't he, that he threw the pizza. Did he, did he talk about that ever at Chelsea? Was that a surprise? I mean, to you? I wasn't. I wasn't with Seska at Chelsea. Oh yeah. <laughs> no. No, then your research. They, they basically yeah. let me go to bring him in six times. He won at Old Trafford. Do your yeah. research. Shut up. He got released. Seska. Seska. He got released. Oh, yeah. yeah. They let me go to get Seska because me and Ses never really got on well on the pitch either. So I think they thought there was no way we'd share a dressing <laughs> they room. They weren't sharing pizza. That's it was bang out of order. It was bang out of order. You can't. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Did you know it was him? The there, were, there were whispers, yeah, that came out quite quickly within our dressing room that we thought it would have been him. There's a rumour it was a Spaniard with very good technique. Yeah. With a frisbee. It was bad. But, From distance. And what was Sir Alex like just after? But, but you know what it, it, it did? It did it, it instilled a an even greater fire within the players. Because we, we found that as being disrespectful. Our manager, what he's done in a game, you don't throw, throw things through to him. Do you know what I mean? If you've got a problem, you, you meet it head on. But the disrespect we, we found... And that's why when we came here... And certain players will talk in the media that we had, would say things that, that would probably antagonise the Arsenal team, that in terms of we're going to be physically dominant, we're going to overpower, overrun this team. And that's the way it was for a period of time on the back of that disrespect. Let's blame Cesc Fabregas then. <laughs> I think with the manager, it's right though. Throwing something at the manager, throwing something anyway is a little bit disrespectful, but yeah. a manager, as a player, you would yeah. feel... Yeah. We want to defend our manager. Exactly. It's a step too far. When, when you were playing and you were playing either Arsenal or Manchester United, which of the two, Arsene Wenger or Sir Alex, did you find the, the most intimidating, if either? Well, obviously, Sir Alex. I mean, I, I really like Arsene Wenger. I've got a huge respect for him. I think he's got a different persona, different demeanour. Yeah. Sir Alex, let you know. I remember one, one time we played Jews up there in the dressing room. Our dressing room was near his opposite Office. the managers. And I remember him telling you off once. Me. Ferdinand, he shouted. And then I saw Rio just walking like <laughs> You're walking like that. Like that. <laughs> down. Oh, and he would have known that our Chelsea team were in the earshot. Yeah. He was just in his own world. He ran the place. So, you know, he, you, know he... you just never knew what was coming. If he called you to his office, it's like being head teacher. You call you to his office and you think, 
You look around and everyone start laughing at you and going, and you going, oh my God, what have I done now? And you start trying to think, what have I done? What have I stepped out of line anywhere? And you get in there, and I think that time, it was like, a, are you ready today? Like, and he used to say things sometimes. I remember we played against Newcastle, and he, he come past me on the coach. It was away at St James. He slapped me on the head. I'm like a grown man. I'm thinking, what are you doing? And he went, um, Craig Bellamy's been talking about you. He's, he's told a few people that he's going to destroy you today. Are you ready for that? Don't come back on the coach if he's destroyed you. And I went out and... Oh, it destroyed you. He was, in, he, he was in here somewhere. <laughs> I, I brought him on the bus or not that. No, not really, no. He was a, yeah. but no. But little things like that to really get his players going and to stoke players up. And he just knew it's how to press buttons. It's great management. How does that compare to how Arsenal would have been ahead of a really big game? Arsenal was quite different. He created sort of an environment of invincibility. We'd be playing the music uh, simply the best as we'd rock up at a uh, stadium. <laughs> What am I hearing here? We, no and we way. then we thought we were the best. Oh it was kind of like... You'd have seen a in your dressing. Yeah, but it's, it's a deep... It's a belief. It's, it's a your playlist. <laughs> so so playlist. those wins were inspired by Tina Turner. That's Pretty well. Did you drop him moves you know, in there? I mean, you, <laughs> you, you, you know me, I was always dropping moves. <laughs> you had a dozen starts on, you? You'd turn up at the ground, away game, buzzing, thinking, you know, and you just floated off the bus. He creates a feeling of belief... And it, you're, you're invincible, OK, and they did that in the end. And he started to talk about going unbeaten, which we thought was would absurd and was only create an extra pressure. But it's not that individual pointing of the finger to yeah. drag out a performance, which it seems Sir Alex Ferguson did. This was more of a collective gain that he got from the group. And it was, uh, boy, was he successful when he was in his, in his prime. I don't know if he's gone past his best, but I don't necessarily know if the players are as good right. as, now as they were then. I think even the players now... I think that's an element that they lack. Yeah. They lack somebody in that change room to go and grab them and say, right, you, I demand this now. Yeah. I demand this week in, week out from you. That the performance I've seen today, why has that not been here? Why is that one in every 12, 15 games? That needs to come out every game or you're out. And I think they're probably, that balance is key Character, to yeah. get in that, yeah. What about, uh, what about Jose? For those big games, those big weeks building up to a sort of huge yeah. title-defining crash, what was he like around the place? Similar to Sir Alex, little bits there, little messages to players, yeah. messages in the press conference. Uh, everything was heightened in training, specific, what we're going to do to them. He'd wind you up a little bit, you know, prod you and poke you if there was something in the press about what they'd said about yeah. this or that. All those little, you know... Uh, mind games uh, alongside all the, the great tactics. And, and come to you individually and, and do a sort of Sir Alex type yeah. thing just to get you yeah. honed in on the game? Yeah, he had, he had both. He had the arm round the shoulder potentially for a certain player who needed it and then maybe come out, you know, I remember with Joe Cole and he would come out and sort of prod him a little bit and get Coley because he wanted yeah. him to work harder defensively and stuff like that and give, he could do both sides of that motivation. I seem to remember him saying, identifying you when he first came in, saying that you were probably the best midfield player in, if yeah. not Europe, in the world. Yeah. And that was huge yeah. uh, praise. And you know, you watch from the outside, these managers, they say things, you feel you've turned the corner. Well, he won six times at Old Trafford. I mean, <laughs> there's not many can do that. It, it, I only managed five. <laughs> but it was brilliant because I, I obviously wasn't the best midfield player in the world, but it, you know, he said it to me and he made me yeah. sort of feel a little did, bit yeah. taller. Yeah, definitely. You felt it. Um, loads of loads of messages coming in. Um, question for all the guys, actually. Uh, who was better? One word answer, please, says Waheed. Keane or Vieira? For Vieira, for me, I don't think he's a player that gets anywhere near the credit he deserves. You talk about Burkamp and Henri, but without Vieira giving him the ball, they would be nothing. Keane for influence for me. Keane for me. I'm for all-round influence in game. 
OK. Uh, Gennady says uh, tonight on uh, Premier League tonight is Comedy Gold. Johnny's enjoying the one-liners from Rio. Um, Christopher saying, brilliant viewing. Ferdinand, Kieran and Lamps, top draw, hashtag Pizzagate. Uh, Mick is enjoying you reminiscing about the good old days. Uh, Thomas says this is literally the perfect way to end a Saturday of football. Uh, Dave also says it's uh, Comedy Gold with you three tonight. Can you get them together every week? Mm-hmm. Do you fancy doing this every week? Not just every now and then. Very non, <laughs> very non-committal, weren't they? Did you notice that? Um, and Disarmer, my first time watching Premier League tonight. I'm loving it. Uh, we ran a poll earlier. We asked you about the greatest moment, as far as you're concerned, in this rivalry um, between Manchester United and Arsenal. What's been your favourite memory? Thousands of votes for this one, Kings. and the winning moment was. Kings. With 44%, Ryan Giggs FA Cup magic. That remarkable run and goal. What have you got to say about that, Martin? Well, not, I, was, I did say that Andy. Uh, Andy Cole made a fantastic run, took me out of the line of the ball. Probably my fault. Not your uh, fault? No, it's probably my fault that he runs on and scores that goal and you look back, you can't change it. And every time I'm wondering what am I doing, falling on my backside, trying to tackle with my left foot. But, uh, yeah, Andy Cole makes a really good run, takes me off the line. Yeah. And the rest is history. It wasn't your fault, it was Andy Cole's fault. We did have a penalty in the, in the 90 minutes. Oh, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. Basically, no. Loads still to talk about. Let's do some three-word match reports. Thank you so much for getting in touch. Sorry we can't read through all of them. Um, we've got one from David, who's a Palace fan. We're not bottom. Hallelujah. Well done, Crystal Palace off the bottom this evening. Jonathan Swansea fan says, Clement out now. Jules says, Liverpool rock Brighton. And Chris, 12-man Spurs. I guess uh, he's a Watford fan. Uh, let's have a look then at uh, the results from today. Um, I suppose... I was going to say, I suppose the big story is there are loads of big stories here. Uh, Another good win for Chelsea, keeping up the pressure. Liverpool flying, as you can see. What about this for Sam Allardyce then? 2-0 win over Huddersfield. It's not a bad start. Suddenly he's in charge of a team who are in the top half of the table, Martin. Yeah, and it was very interesting. The team that was selected today was pretty well the same one. You wonder if he he picked the team in midweek. A great result for him. You'd expect him to win. That sets it up perfectly. Now they play, I think, Liverpool next. Uh, He'd be a hero uh, instantly if he can win that one. And you start wondering really what was all the panic about at Everton. It's a really good start for Sam. Doesn't usually get the first one right, but he has done this time. Good win for Chelsea. Frank? Very good. Uh, Watched most of the game earlier, and I think Newcastle started pretty sharp. Chelsea weren't quite at it, but once they got in their stride, after Newcastle scored, very good. Hazard was incredible. I know you take the mick out of me for Mm -hmm. Hazard lyrical every week about him, but at the moment, he's unplayable. Yeah, meanwhile, Tottenham slipping, and we'll talk about Tottenham in just a couple of seconds. But let's focus then on two new men at two new clubs. We're going to hear from Josh and Peter, fans of West Brom and Everton, and Sam Allardyce as well. Have a listen to this. Okay, I've just walked away from the Hawthorns, and it's a really, really disappointing performance from Albion today. Um, Real lack of invention, and too many of the squad, to be honest, um, have so little quality. Uh, The likes of Alan Neom, James McLean, Harold Sakanu, just not good enough. Um, But more promising signs under Alan Pardew. We're not sitting back and defending goalless draws. We're actually kind of, you know, trying to win games. So if we carry on doing that, I'm sure we'll pick up points. But we desperately need some more quality in, in January. Three points for Sam Allardyce in his first game. It's great to get six points in a week. And suddenly, looking up the table rather than down the table, it's... It's another clean sheet, which is the most important thing, two in a week. If we keep the clean sheets, we'll get back to the top half of the table and hopefully push for seventh place. It's just great to win. I just love winning games in football. It's great, isn't it? If I take a job, I'm totally and fully 100% committed and, the, and I don't take the job in any, any other circumstances. If I feel I can't give 100% to the football club, then I wouldn't take the job. Um, I've turned many a job down before this one, so... I felt this one to be right for me. It's a dream job for me, and I will give it 100%. 
and getting a win in your first game after the fantastic win on Wednesday night and doing back probably the first time was it back to back back to back wins for the first time this season so uh, let's hope it's onwards and upwards boys let's talk then about managers new managers coming into football um, the last four managers appointed to the Premier League have been aged 70 54 56 and 63. So we can talk about why isn't the new blood coming through. Um, but let's have a look at the merry-go-round from the last two years. These are the managers who are getting jobs in the last couple of years. So in the last 12 years, Palace have gone with Pulis, Pardew, Allardyce and Hodgson. West Brom, Hodgson, Pulis and Pardew. West Ham, Pardew, Allardyce and Moyes. Newcastle have gone with Allardyce and Pardew. Everton, Moyes and Allardyce. Fulham, Hodgson and Hughes, Allardyce and Moyes. Pulis. It's the same names again and again. Admittedly, of all of those jobs that have been given out, only one of them has ended in relegation, which would have been David Moyes at Sunderland. But how much of an issue is this, that the same people are getting jobs over and over again in the league? You said only one of them was a relegation. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, the that's why. That's the reason. Because they seem to be able to guarantee Premier League status for their, for their clubs. And it is quite remarkable, Sam Allardyce, is, what he does. He comes in, he change, makes it's very obvious changes. Straight away now, Pickford, the goalkeepers, kicking the ball long. It's percentage football. They're not taking risks. They look solid. You know, there's a shape to their team and there's a threat then on, on the break. And they've had two really good results. So they're able to do that. David Moyes is the one I consider. I'm not sure that he's necessarily still got it. And West Ham, obviously their next game is Man City. They look like they're doomed already. And you, you might look at his early performances and think, do we need to change the manager yet again? It's that, it's that bad. And it was really bad for him. At Sunderland. So Pardew, though, you know, I think he, this is a make or break for him now. He doesn't get another top job in the Premier League if he doesn't make this one work because it, you can only be on that merry-go-round for so long. How do we get new young managerial talent coming through if clubs are just going to make these safe appointments time after time? So, so it's the chairmen of these football clubs, the boards have to have the, the um, bravery. bravery to actually go into the lower leagues and get these young English managers. Uh, to give them the opportunity because the rewards are so huge now in the Premier League. If you stay up in the Premier League, 150 million pounds, pounds to, a, to a club. So are you going to risk going with someone who's unproven, unknown? In any other business, you're going to go with somebody who's proven and known in that field and this is what they've been the doing. Only, the only new English managers coming into the Premier League have earned it by right, isn't it, through pro promotions? Eddie Howe. And Chrissy Hooten just done this, the same thing. So it's, that's how they seem to have to do it the hard way. We don't want to... I mean, I'd, to throw a name in, someone like Chris Wilder, who's manager of Sheffield yeah. United, has been... He's, he's had been a special fantastic. award yeah. at Northampton, and then concurrently with promotions at Sheffield United. You know, they don't, you don't hear his name mentioned. I'm not sure he's the right fit, but why not? Why are these guys... Because there's no time kids? and you can't learn on the job. I understand yeah. the clubs making those decisions and taking people who they think there's a security in the fact they've seen them do it before elsewhere but I don't think we should sort of I think sometimes a bit of a blame game about new English managers the English managers themselves or British managers we're trying to promote that need to prove themselves as well we can't just sort of bemoan it and then go well, how many names have we really picked out there that we can they should have got that job there aren't that many no. I'm, not, I'm not putting them down, I'm saying, and it's difficult winning a championship. If you've got a championship or league one thing, it's difficult to, to make great waves without funds. But I want to see personality in young managers. I want to see someone who goes, yes, I, I demand a top job. Mm. A little bit of what we see in these top managers in the Premier League, there's a certain personality that the foreign managers have, have gone one step ahead of us English managers. We need a bit more. I think, though, with, uh, Frank, we're in danger of we've lost a generation of former players that have not come back into the game. Yeah, agreed. And perhaps we're all, you know, not say, well, there's a lot of guys sitting on the sofa and don't want to take that leap. In, in, into what might be a black hole for you. You won't last very long. 
and there's a, a tier of, of players that didn't go into the game. And will they do that in the future? Because the rewards now necessarily don't need to go into the game. You come out of football, Jake, and you realise that you, you quite enjoy being with your family and that, do you really want to go back in again? It has to be a massive desire, maybe a, a player that was career was shut caught, someone with a, a point to prove and is ambitious. And we're not seeing enough of that from, it's great that Steven Gerrard, I know but Frank's yeah, doing think, stuff at Chelsea. I think, yeah, I think our generation, I think that's, that's changing slightly. Yeah. You've mm. got, you got um, Jody that's, Morris at Chelsea coaching yeah. a young team. But will Scotty he ever Parker, get a chance though, Scotty really? Parker. Well, you, you'll never know until you put yourself in there because they're now having to work their way from the bottom up. Steven Gerrard, Scotty Parker, Jody Morris, they're, they're, they're coaching the youth teams mm. and they're going to have to work their way through the club. But it's down to the people that run these clubs. Do you want some young English talent, former players, etc., to be part of the club at the top end in the in the coaching rooms? Michael Carrick's just been offered a, a job on the coaching staff at Manchester United with the first team. These are the type of roles that our generation now are starting to get offered. It's whether they take them and whether they do the job while they're there. The FA had some really barren years with the English players. Not, not just players that play for their country, but players. They should have been getting into clubs players that were in the middle of their careers rather than waiting until they get to the end. They should have come in, gone in early and go, we can help you do your badges or qualifications mm. to get you on the road to management. They didn't. And then when yeah. players get to 35 or something, as Martin says, they go, well, I've had no help. It's going to take three years. It, it, I'm going to go and do something else. If you think in the business world how much money is spent on management, developing management, and you think, well, ultimately, we want somebody to manage the England team. Mm. So how much money has been spent by the FA on identifying you know, really outstanding talent. It needs to happen at the club. I think Sir Alex Ferguson seemed to identify individuals. You need to be a manager. You need to be told so, you know, that's your path. And a lot of players have sort of floated out of the game and it's, um, it's been a big loss, I feel. I think, I think Southgate is a great example of, of the FA investing in someone to work with the younger teams. He's had his eye and hand over all of the younger teams from probably under-15s upwards. So he knows all this next generation of players that are coming in. That's why it's so seamless now for him to bring a young 21 player into the first team, Solanke. I don't think the previous managers would have brought a Solanke in this team who's not playing at his club. Yeah. Unheard of in terms of Premier League status. Gomez. But he's known, and Nick Gomez, etc. they're all known through the youth systems that he's had his eye over for them number of years as an under-21 manager. So in that sense, I think internationally, we're doing it the right way, it seems. Okay. Well, maybe we, we just put an end to this daft conversation about foreign managers stopping young people getting, young managers getting a chance. Maybe the issue is the older managers are stopping the younger managers getting a look you in. You can't Matty's... expect them to just go away, though. It's good jobs, isn't well, it? Well, exactly. I mean, Matty said it's getting to the stage where Allardyce, Pardew, Pulis and Moyes are almost guaranteed to have their debut against a former club. Uh, Paul, only in football is repeated managerial failure rewarded with repeat contracts. They wouldn't get near a repeat job in the real world. Daniel, the problem is young managers are a huge risk or as older managers have experience and are proven and Nathan go and look at Germany countless young managers they're putting us to shame um, there you go you can check your phone we're cool Martin don't worry. just looking at the Spurs game all oh, right well let's talk Spurs then very quickly uh, through again today one win in six what's going on do you know I have a theory with them that they're ma when if you think a couple of years ago when they couldn't be champions they capitulated Arsenal somehow came second and their manager told them recently we can't win it and then you have to readjust, you have to find a new target. And that's difficult when you set your heart on winning something. And they've never really had that winning feeling. And they're collapsing now. I think they should have bought more attacking options options in the summer. And, you know, without that, I don't think they go. And they rely on Harry Kane and Ali massively. Yeah. And if they're not really firing, then they, you know, they struggle a bit. Really? What? What's going on? With... What? Where were you? Where were you? <laughs> no, so just ain't doing it. They're going team, through a bad spell. Yeah, they're a good yeah. team, but they're a young team, and I think they need some leadership within that dressing room as well. They've got who's who's one thing in that dressing room. Welcome back. Garden. Nice to have you with us. Yeah. Let's talk about people's nemesis. Take a look at this, and we'll talk after this.
Ah, yes, Nemesis. And we've had a few down the years. Matt Letizia loved a few worldies past us. Fernando Forestieri, whether it be for Watford or Sheffield Wednesday, whenever that guy comes up against Huddersfield Town, he seems to turn into Diego Maradona and have the game of his life. Paul Scholes, I remember him banging in a hat rack against the Inters Park. Tony Pulis has to be right up there. Our former manager, we've failed to beat him since he left the club. Steven Gerrard did. Someone who always scored against us was Steven Gerrard. Nearly every single derby, whether we were playing well or not, he would always score against us. Chris Martin has always liked to score against Brighton, whether it be at Derby, Norwich or Crystal Palace or any of the other teams he's been at. Michael Owen, got a trend, yeah, it all seems to be English players. Slaven Bilic at West Ham always seemed to get a good performance out of his team against us, especially last season when we were absolutely flying in them and we were still going for the title. And then again this year, 2-0 up in the cup and they come out in the second half and stick three goals against us. Robbie Keane. Now, whether that was as a young pup playing for Wolverhampton Wanderers in the 90s or for Leeds or for Tottenham, this is a player that scored against us over three different decades. And don't even get me started on that celebration. We have won ourselves. Jose Mourinho, the great Jose, has never won a St James's Park, ever. And that's a fact for you. It's not particularly hard trying to remember West Ham's nemesis, given that you employ most of them. I mean, Steven Gerrard always played well against us. We didn't even win at Anfield for like 50 years or something. Uh, Michael Owen scored 15 hat-tricks against us. But no one is worse than a certain somebody sitting in that studio tonight. Uh, Frank Lampard Jr. Not as good as his dad. That's why we booed him. Uh, and he always scored against us. <laughs> it's not true. I was either I was so tense for that game. I was either useless or the opposite and scored. Is that I used right? To get tense and up for it because they always used to hammer me, hammer me. And that, so, and that, that affected you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I got two pent up. When I, my first years going back there, I was so wanted to do so well to prove them wrong because they were giving me so much stick that I didn't produce. And then I scored a few years in, and then I sort of lost the shackles and, and scored pretty regularly. It, I suppose it makes it worse if you if you want to do well and you don't. Then the next time you play them, it's even worse, yeah. isn't it? Because yeah. you sort of try too hard. I always thought the West Ham fans are bang out of order for that. For one of their own players to come through the system the way Frank did and yeah. loved, loved West Ham. His dad played there, had been there all his life and for them to turn it the way they did. You was... could say that was a compliment though because they'd seen him go on and, and be so successful. Yeah, but you don't do that to one of your own. No, but they are. Listen, the, I got on told stick when I played, whenever I played West Ham. They, you, they're going to home in on something. They probably warranted his view. Probably. <laughs> I don't think I ever lost there either. <laughs> <laughs> but, listen, they, they got so... I mean, their fans, the banter with those fans. I mean, oh, the West Ham fans good. are brilliant. But I, 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 I love playing for West Ham. I, loved to, I had a great relationship with the fans, you but it, just, wrong, yeah. it was just that was Is something it, that didn't sit well with Genuinely, me. because people look at footballers and don't see them as human beings sometimes... But how much did it hurt? Well, it hurt me more when I played there and they used to give me stick. <laughs> I didn't mind when I went back, I didn't mind because it was, it was then, then seen yeah. as a compliment in a way, especially as the years went on. Did you understand it when you were still playing there and you were getting stick? Uh, yeah, I understand it retrospectively that my dad was there. They sort of thought there was some nepotism, but yeah. no, I don't. I was a West Ham boy. My dream was to play for West Ham and then I used to get told to sit down when I was warming up. <laughs> <laughs> Go and sit down, fat boy. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and I used to like, just trundle back to the bench. And how, and, and how old would you have been then? Uh, from 17 to That's 20. The thing. You, like, yeah. you look back now and, and you can make sense of it. When you're 17, character building. you're a kid. That's well, the it thing. is character building, but how can that's you what, make... That's what I always say to any young kids when you do these talks or go to schools or talk to young players... You talk about characters and people that are strong-willed and st got a strong mentality to get them to the top. And Frank, I always use him as that example because what had he had to, to leave that club. Didn't you? Was, Eventually, was, was hard. Frank had to leave there to, to go and make his name. Yeah, you won in the end.
I don't like to, you know, other people can say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, say that. I'll say that for you. Uh, right, so um, Nemesis, Mark says, if Rio doesn't say Robbie Savage, the whole thing's a fix. Who was yours? They definitely weren't him. <laughs> he never got anywhere near me on a football pitch. Um, he did in the tunnel, though. You panicked. Right, um, uh, you know, I'd have to say Mark Hughes if I'm really going to go with a fine tooth comb because his team's always set up and they made it difficult for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say him. His team's always very hard to play against. Martin? For me, it was more of a team. Uh, we, we always seen Bolton was always a banana skin for us. Seeing that Sir Alex Ferguson was on the phone to Sam Allardyce, that's me. <laughs> you know, buddies all together, and then it made it. They seemed to come out with these incredible performances whenever we, and we always seemed to have to beat Bolton to stay in touch with Manchester United, and that became very difficult for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the back end of my career, Yaya Torre, I think he knew he had the measure of me for pace. He'd just stand me up, push it past me, and I'd be really? hanging off his back, <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch him. Yeah. All right, I've enjoyed that tonight. What a brilliant hour, just to sit and talk football like that. And thank you so much for your comments. We were trending on Twitter tonight. Hundreds and hundreds of comments have come into the show, so thank you for that. And thank you for you three. You know, just to have three ex-pros to sit here and be as honest and as open as you three are, it makes the show. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. We're back again in two weeks' time for Man City against Spurs. It would be great if you can join us for that on BT Sport. And if you enjoyed this week's show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. And I am a happy, happy bunny. Liverpool smashed Brighton today. If Murray scores that goal at 2-0 down in the second half, it's a different game. Watford won, Spurs won. Um, a really entertaining game, end-to-end stuff. Uh, the main talking point will obviously be the red cards. Oh, I always get put in a really bad mood when Burnley lose. Back-to-back wins from Quell. We're climbing up the table now and not looking over our shoulders. Start bright enough, control the game, but as soon as we go goal down, the heads drop. There's not enough fighters out there, there's not enough battle. Ethan Hazard is the best player in this league. He is absolutely outrageous. Another two goals today, so easy for him. Three points, our season is back on track.